1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome to On The Market. This is York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host and real estate expert is Asif Khan. And joining us as well this morning is Heather Cooper from Remax Prime Properties. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Okay, so we're going to start here with buyers and sellers and the multiple offer scenario. Scary for everybody on both sides, right? Well, it, it's scary if you don't have proper representation. Okay. And, you know, what we're seeing right now in the market is a return to the 2016, early 2017 landscape where everything is multiple offers. So it's just a, a part of, you know, buying or selling your home right now. And with the proper representation, you can get through it. You got to rely on your realtor to guide you and make sure that you're getting the most out of that opportunity. Now, what does that mean when you're comparing it to 2016? In 2016, we had a huge shortage of inventory and, you know, the demand outweighed the supply by four or five to one. And what we're seeing right now is the exact same thing. We don't have a lot of inventory available on the market and the inventory that is available is getting the attention of all the buyers and sellers that are out there. So if you have six or seven buyers looking at your property, there's a good chance that you're going to get three or four offers. And that's where you have to position yourself as a seller to be able to, uh, you know, not only get all those people through, but set it up so that it makes it easy for them to purchase your home. And, uh, you know, as a buyer, Heather can attest to what she has to do to prepare her buyer clients for a multiple offer scenario as well. well so what advice do you have, Heather? Well, I think it starts with setting expectations for the buyers and really letting them know the whole process and how it's going to play out. Because it's not just, I see a place I like, I'm going to put an offer and we're going to negotiate and we'll settle. There's a lot more that needs to be done prior to submitting the offer. So I make sure that they have their mortgage in place. That's number one. That's most important because you got to try and make sure that when you're going in um, on the offer date that you have as little conditions as possible while still being protected. So another thing that we suggest as well, especially for homes, um, detached homes, townhouses, things like that, is going in and even paying up front to have a home inspection done ahead of time so that when it comes time on the offer date, we don't need to have that home inspection condition in there and we can actually go in firm. So when you're going in to view a home, you can bring in an inspector with you at that time? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, usually we'll go in, we'll view the place. If they want to put an offer in, then we'll make arrangements to have a home inspector go in prior to the offer date. Typically, when there are multiple offers on a property, what they've done is they've priced it competitively and then they'll set out a specific date and say, okay, so we're going to accept offers on this date. So we need to have everything prepared for that time. And that's another thing we need to do as well is let the client know that, let's say it's Wednesday night at 7 p.m., they need to be available. They need to be wherever the offers are happening. I need them there with me so that when it comes to negotiating, we can run back and forth and be on top of things. And, and we hear a lot of stories in the in the news about how houses sold for so much more than asking. What you don't hear is the horror stories. There are so many horror stories out there with agents that just are not well-versed with multiple offers. And they're either thinking that they have to go in 100000 over, the house isn't going to get appraised by the bank. 
And now you've put your clients in a really bad situation because they've gone in uh, probably without a financing condition in order to get this deal, 100000 80000 40000 over asking. But now that client is stuck because they're going to be sued if they can't close on that place because the bank's not going to finance them outside of the value that they've appraised. Uh, you've also got situations where we're seeing on our listings buyer agents coming in with ridiculous clauses in these multiple offer situations, which even if they have the best offer, these conditions that they're putting in are pretty much ruling out their uh, shot at this property. And we have buyers pretty much crying at the end of the day because it's been their fourth or fifth or tenth place that their agent has not been able to secure for them, and they're losing out on opportunities. So, it's it's a market where you need proper representation and you need to make sure you hire a professional that's going to be able to get you through that process as a seller or a buyer. Otherwise, you're leaving thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on the table. Can you share some of the examples of those ridiculous conditions? What does that mean? They'll have... Uh, <laughs> so basically, as Heather was saying, you have to set the expectations with your buyers and sellers. With the buyers, you have to be pre-approved. You have to know exactly what you can afford you do your home inspection in advance or you know you're pretty comfortable that if it's a newer house that there's nothing wrong with it it still has a tarry on warranty all of this has to be done in advance we're getting agents coming in with uh, a home inspection condition for maybe 10 days and usually it's about 5 days you get uh, the banks are really tight right now in terms of time, so people are putting in, someone put in a uh, financing condition for seven days, and then they're coming in with deposits like $5,000 or $10,000. You have to make sure your deposit is healthy enough that it's going to make the seller feel secure. And you start getting newer agents or inexperienced agents that have not conducted a multiple offer before advising their clients improperly. And when you have that, your client has absolutely no shot of getting this property. And if it's their dream house and they're losing out over two or $3,000 because you didn't advise them properly on what conditions you're going to be putting in, that's really sad. And, and that's why experience really pays in this market, both as a seller and as a buyer. Some sellers will think, oh, anyone can sell in this market. But it's really not true because you could have left forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on the table by not having proper representation. I think another thing, too, with multiple offers is people are under the assumption that the highest price is going to win the bid, which isn't the case by any means. Those conditions sometimes speak louder than money. I've been in multiple offer situations quite a few times where we actually weren't the highest um, offer in terms you know, of the price. We weren't. It was just that our conditions... We've got, we were coming in firm. We had good closing dates. Like Asif mentioned, our deposits were substantial, and it just showed credibility on our part. And when you mention that healthy deposit, how much is that? It could be 5%. I mean, you, what you want to do is make sure that it's not $5,000 or $10,000 on a, a property that's worth $1.5 because it's easy for people to walk away at that point. And when you're in a multiple offer, it's the seller's only opportunity to ha make that deal happen. Because if you win that bid and you only have a $10,000 deposit and you're going to walk away from this, you know, if you, if you don't uh, get the financing for it or something like that, one, you're leaving yourself open to a huge lawsuit. And, and secondly, the seller is put in a really bad situation. So their agent is looking at this and saying, okay, well, how much skin do you have in the game? And you want to be, it's held in trust. It goes against your final deposit anyway that you're going to be making to the bank as a down payment. So 
it ha- it, you have to show that you have skin in the game. You have to show that you want this property and that you're willing to put that money up front to say that you're going to get it. Heather, how do you keep your buyer from getting too emotional or attached to a property and getting desperate and willing to do almost anything to get that property? Well, like as I've said, the first thing first is I will never let a client overpay for a property. It won't appraise. They're going to lose their deposit. I think that is enough to – and I'm not trying to scare them. I'm just letting them know, like, this is risky business, right? So you have to make sure – we all need to make sure that we're going in well-educated. We need to know the market. We need to know what the market value of these properties are. And I have to tell them when to say no. That's great advice right there. And the other thing that I've seen Heather and some of our other agents do is when clients see a property, there's a lot of agents out there that have absolutely no clue what's happening in the market. So they'll put a $900,000 property up for seven hundred and fifty and tell their clients that they're going to get multiple offers and they're going to sell for 200000 over asking. But what ends up happening is you have people that are approved for 800000 looking at these $750,000 properties thinking, hey, I'll go up to 800000 on this and I'll get this. But that's not the true price of that property. And, you know, real estate agents, price your properties, right? Because you're not doing anyone <laughs> any favors, not yourself, not your sellers, not buyers that are out there. It's just a dumb thing to do if you're going to be pricing it that low. And this is where you need to show that you're the professional and that you know what the market is doing. If you price a property well, you're still going to get multiple offers on it. You're still going to be able to sell it and get your clients a good price. It means absolutely nothing to me when someone puts on Facebook or Instagram that they got $200,000 more for their house than what they listed for. All that means is that you didn't price it properly. So for clients, they're getting excited and that's where the agent has to set the expectations where you have to tell them, look, this is a $900,000 house. The agent's just stupid and priced it $200,000 lower. It doesn't mean that you're going to get this for $100,000 less than what it's worth. Okay. And, and it's that education process that has to take place prior to them going out and putting in these offers. Now, Asif, you began this conversation comparing 2020 to 2016. What exactly is happening right now that compares to 2016 in terms of putting in those offers? What's happening right now is we have a huge inventory problem. And uh, by that, I mean there's a shortage in inventory. So you're starting to see those people come in and and just say, you know what, I'm looking for a four-bedroom house, three bathrooms, hardwood floor on the main floor, and I will put an offer without even seeing it. And this is what they're telling their agents. And as these houses come up, they're trying to jump on it. And there's a lot of bully offers out there right now, too. So people are holding off offers to say, you know, we're going to be looking at all offers on Saturday night. It could be a Monday. Monday afternoon, you'll get a bully offer for $40,000 over asking with no conditions because that client, although they haven't even seen the house, they want to be in that area. They want to be in that neighborhood. That's the type of house that they want. So they're willing to put an offer down so that nobody else gets that property. And that's been you know, prevalent. It, it usually doesn't start until March. It started in January this year. And that because as we came out of 2019, Everyone knew buyers were sitting on the fence for so long over 2018, they knew what they wanted and they were ready to go in 2019. They didn't get their place. So in 2020, their mind was made up. They were going to get the first house that comes up. Otherwise, they're going to be priced out. And with prices climbing the way that they are in the first you know, month and a little bit of 2020, you're going to start to see that happen more and more because people don't want to be priced out. Now, when we were off the air, you mentioned a scenario about what happened in 2016. A home sold, um, it was bought again, resold. What happened recently in that property? 
Yeah, so um, we were talking about a neighborhood in Cornell where uh, a home sold for about a million dollars in 2016, late 2016. The same model last year, because it was a quieter year, there was a lot of changes that came in from the government. So it sold uh, early 2019 for about $150,000 less. Which, you know, people were saying it's a correction or, you know, the market was balancing out. But just this weekend, the exact same model now sold for over a million dollars. So we're back to that pricing where people have to now look at 2016, 2017, because we're back into that same type of market. Last year, we were telling people, don't look at that market because it was a very different market. Now, 2020, we're back to that market. So you can look at those prices again. You're, you're not going to get 100000 over asking or 150000 over asking because the banks have changed their tune. The banks are very strict on their appraisals, so it has to appraise. But as long as you're going in within the bank's parameters of their appraisals, you have a good chance of getting that property. Now, just before we go to Heather and this week's hot listing, what's your last piece of advice for anyone who may be still on the fence right now? Get you know, yeah, you got to get off that fence and you got to make sure that you're getting your house because what you're doing, you got to look at the opportunity cost. So there's a lot of reports that are very misleading out there. And they're saying, you know, uh, Toronto's in another housing bubble. There's going to be a correction. There's not going to be a correction. The only correction that we need right now is an increase in supply. Other than that, nothing is going to help affordability, not government intervention, not reports that are being put out by uh, economists that don't really know what's happening in the real estate market and you've got to make sure you make that decision quick and you've got to make sure that you capitalize put your money down on a house now because in three months or in five months or seven months that house is going to be selling for forty fifty thousand dollars more and that could be the down payment that you have saved up all right heather this week's hot listing what have you got for us okay i've got a stunning and huge two-bedroom two-bathroom condo in the prestigious the arbors condo building this is in aurora this unit has a modern upscale feel and has an amazing view of the forest from every window the open concept kitchen has stainless steel appliances, ceramic backsplash, quartz countertops, and an extra side island. This unit's huge. It's almost 1,100 square feet with a 50-square-foot balcony. You had me at the view. <laughs> <laughs> and the Arbors is a great building. It's a very upscale, prestigious building in Aurora, and it's in, right in the heart of Aurora. So you're very close to all amenities. You're you know, close to the 404, close to the 400. It's a great place to be. Heather, one more time, the highlights of this property, the list price, and where our listeners can get more information. It's a two-bedroom, two-bath condo located at 555 William Graham Drive in Aurora. The list price on this one is 669900 and that includes one underground parking spot and the locker. This one's listed by Thomas Woodward, and he can be contacted at 905 505 1053. Us have time now for our listener questions, and the first one comes from Jerry in Thornhill. He wants to know the approximate cost per square foot of a condo in downtown Toronto compared to 905. In terms of the market right now, what is the average price of a condo downtown compared to the same type of property in 905, whether it's York Region or Peel? Jerry, those are great questions. And, you know, it really is subjective because it depends on where you are in Toronto, uh, where you are downtown. You could be on the east end, by the water, west end. So it really does vary. But if you're looking let's say financial district, right in the heart of the the core of downtown, you're probably looking at about $1,600 a square foot, $1,400 a square foot 
for a condo that's right in there. And, you know, we're talking uh, the Pemberton condo that was just down there on Richmond or the well. You've got United coming up, which is about $1,800 a square foot. 55 Mercer is just going to be released, and we're expecting it to be right around that price range as well. So it depends. But if you go over towards, say, Bayview in front, you know, you're probably paying about $1,000, $1,100 a square foot. It depends if you're going resale, if you're in pre-construction. There's a price difference there as well. And if you're looking for something in the 905, you could find something in the 905 from $600 a square foot all the way up to $1,000 a square foot. So it really does vary. Would love to have a chat with you as to what areas you're specifically looking at and be able to guide you. The other thing that you have to take into account is maintenance fees. Usually downtown in Toronto, the maintenance fees are a lot higher than what you're going to be looking at in the 905 as well. All right. And in terms of a condo, is a resale a better value? Uh, could you find a bargain, perhaps, than a new build? There's some great deals on resale because you have to remember that those resale condos were purchased three, four, five, six years ago, even if they're newer buildings. And the price that people paid for them was a lot less than what people are paying for them right now. So sometimes there's some absolutely amazing deals on resale. You don't have to worry about HST and development charges, uh, which you would have to if you're purchasing a pre-construction new build, a condo or a home, whereas, uh, you know, unless you're renting it out, uh, then you could get some of that HST back. Uh, If you're living in it, you don't have to pay that HST. So there's a lot of considerations that you need to uh, make before deciding on whether you want to go resale or pre-construction, and we can help you with that. Our next question comes from Emily in Markham. She is searching for a home but is wondering she should be thinking about a larger condo instead of a house. Will the condo appreciate more than a house in this current climate? Uh, Again, great question. So it really depends on, it's more of a lifestyle choice. So a house versus condo is more of a lifestyle choice than it is a financing type of choice where, you know, it it may appreciate a little bit less than a home would, but at the same time, do you want to do the maintenance? Do you want to have a a lawn to cut? Do you want to, you know, do snow removal? In a condo, you don't have all of that. In a condo, you also have an exercise room or a pool that you can use as well. So it's more of a lifestyle choice, you know, having a conversation with you about where you want to be in the next five years or 10 years will also help determine uh, where we want to put you in terms of a condo or a home. And, you know, do you have kids? You need to be close to a school. Are you okay with elevators, underground parking, uh, surface parking? There's so many things to consider with that, but we can actually guide you and uh, help you with that decision. Great questions this week. When we come back, why Canada needs a national housing strategy. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next is Christopher Alexander, Executive Vice President and Regional Director of Remax Integra. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Asif. And, and Chris, before we get started, 40 years of Remax Integra. Congratulations on the 40th anniversary of Remax Integra supporting real estate and real estate agents in and around Ontario Atlantic. Oh, thank you very much. It's been an incredible journey, and I feel like we're just getting started. So, 
Yeah, exciting things ahead. That's awesome. That's great to hear. We're we're talking about uh, you were just featured on BNN, and you're talking about housing supply. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, really, when you look at how much our population is projected to grow over the next 25 to 35 years, uh, and that do not have a national housing strategy. My concern is that we are going to continue to have the inventory issues that we have had for over a decade. And every single year, we talk about interest rates or buying power, foreign buyers, but really the problem has been inventory. And for the foreseeable future, I do not see that changing unless there's a national housing strategy that addresses that. And we're seeing that, especially with the start of 2020. We're seeing multiple offers. We're seeing prices climb more than what they were projected to climb. And we're almost seeing a landscape that resembles 2016, early 2017. And that's when the government stepped in and they didn't really address the main issue, which was supply, which is what you're talking about in your BNN report. What they tried to do was throttle demand through making it harder for people to buy houses. And unless, you're right, unless we address where we're going to get more supply or if we're going to release some lands that builders can build on, maybe reduce the red tape for builders to get permits to start building, that's probably what you're uh, you know, getting at in terms of a national housing strategy. Yeah, I mean, the, the stress test that was introduced two years ago was a quick fix, but lo and behold, three years ago now, uh, lo and behold, we're in the same scenario or close to it. And I, I just, there needs to be a long-term uh, strategy, not a short-term quick fix. And yes, we need to incentivize builders uh, through a variety of means to encourage them to build more affordable housing, more rental units, so that we can at least attempt to keep up with the overwhelming demand that Canada as a country really uh, is experiencing. And especially when you see millennials and Gen Xers, you know, getting into that mode where now they're looking at house formations. And, and you start to see more and more people wanting to move into the housing market, purchase in the housing market. There's not an, even enough supply to satisfy them, let alone all the people that are going to be coming in. Yeah. It's, you know, in the GTA, we can only build about forty to 45,000 units a year. That's the capacity. And we have about a hundred to 120,000 people coming in every year from outside the country. So that in itself, plus the local demand, which is also very high, is putting in a tremendous amount of strain uh, on the marketplace. And are you noticing the same scenario across the country, or is it just here in Toronto and the greater Toronto area? Is it the same in Montreal and in Vancouver? Montreal's having a boom. Vancouver, they seem to reach this... They have a more of a peak and valley uh, marketplace, and when they reach a point of affordability, it seems to pull back a little bit. But I think we had a record number of immigration last year, and uh, it's starting to you know, have an impact there as well. Uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan have had their issues economically because of oil and industry. Uh, so they've been slow, but oil's rebounded in Alberta. So I, just, I, I think that they're poised for a rebound. Uh, Halifax is doing extremely well, but it seems to be mostly the urban centers that are attracting a lot of the immigration. And also when you look at Atlantic Canada, 
there's so much demand there right now, and it's because of affordability. We even have people from the GTA moving back out. If they're from Atlanta, Canada, they're moving back out there just because they can cash out in the GTA and buy a huge home for four or $500,000. And I think that's yep. helping them a lot. And, you know, until we get more supply, it's going to be really challenging for, you know, our kids or their kids to purchase homes uh, in and around the GTA. Yeah. Um, even in places in rural Ontario, I mean, Muskoka, Halliburton, Guelph, like these communities that used to be very affordable are starting to reach a point where it's becoming very expensive. So there's, you know, there's, there's some significant challenges with supply and demand right now that need to be addressed on the long-term front and not the short-term if we are going to, you know, give consumers a chance to get into the market at a reasonable rate. Now, Chris, you mentioned supply and demand, but what about in terms of space? Are we just simply looking then at vertical housing, uh, condos and apartment buildings? If anybody wants a home, is it going to have to be outside of that metro area? I think the metro areas are going to have to continue to build up because uh, there is no more room. But surrounding areas with large territories that haven't utilized all the land that they might could still have an opportunity to, to build single-family dwellings, but it's becoming an increasing challenge. I know that in New York City, there was a with the tallest residential building, I think, is 140 stories. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of that comes to Toronto. And we're starting to see that now in terms of how many condo projects are on the go right now. I mean, we're getting bombarded with emails, two, three builders a day saying, hey, we've got this project coming up. We're start, We're also starting to see that infiltrate into the 905. I mean, Mississauga just announced a 37 uh, condo building project that's going to be taking place over the next few years. Where do you see that? What's happening in in the 905? And, and do you see that, you know, becoming more and more prevalent over the 905 region? Yes. A 905 is still more affordable, although it's, it's expensive. It's more affordable than the 416. And I just see more and more of that on the horizon because people are really attractive to the urban lifestyle. And a lot of the 905 offers, a, you know, pretty good comparison to what you you could find in Toronto. Now, Christopher, we're going to make you Prime Minister for the next couple of minutes. What do you see (laughs) that you could do in terms of a national housing strategy? Significant tax breaks for builders to build affordable housing and rentals. I would consider putting a cap on land transfer tax. And those two things, I think, could have a dramatic effect on supply. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, back to land transfer tax, a lot of sellers are constrained with, you know, having to pay an exorbitant amount if they do end up moving. I think a lot of them would rather put that money into renovating their existing home. And let's face it, property values have more than doubled since land transfer tax was introduced, especially in Toronto. And I just think the rate that, you know, is being expected of consumers to pay is not congruent with how much property values have gone up. And while I certainly appreciate how much the city and province relies on those numbers, we've got to find a long-term strategy to address the supply and, you know, capping land transfer tax might help that. Chris Rath, great information. Now, if people want to see this report that you did with BNN, where can they go to to read up on it? Uh, on our, our blog, which is blog.remax.ca blog.remax.ca. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us again, and we look forward to having you on soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it.
Thanks very much, Chris. And Asif, if our listeners want to connect with you directly, how can they do that? Tina, they can reach me at 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. And that's our show for this week. Remember, if you need to connect with Asif Khan or if you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.